0: The Beatles are a pretty nice band And we've got a lot to say The Beatles are a pretty nice band Talk about them day after day But we also love the outfield a lot So are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band Someday we'll judge if they're fine Oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine
1: (laughs) You never give me your money Where's my money, bro? Where's my money? Give me, give me, give me Oh, you can afford fake mustaches but <laughs> you can't afford to pay me back, huh? huh? Oh, boy. Folks, we have reached the Abbey Road Medley. Here uh, we are. Yeah, uh, it's been quite a journey. Uh, you're never giving your money just on its own is a slew of different songs. You know, I now I know now that's Paul shitting on Alan Klein, their new manager. <laughs> Which, as it mm. turns out, was the right move. Uh, shitting on Alan Klein I should say. Yes. But it's, also, but it's also really, at least in my read, about the role money plays throughout our lives. You know, Paul goes in reverse chronological order. It starts with his current situation. Then he sings about being straight out of college when he doesn't have to pay rent and he mindlessly spent all his cash. Then you have the all-good children go to heaven part. You know, a song you sing as a kid when you have no financial cares in the world. I like Paul's vocal choices here, especially the ah, before the good children part. Uh, the, the, their moves he showcases in his early solo career. It's a very 70s uh, vocal tick, I would say.
0: 100%. This is definitely like a mini opera preview of what direction his soon-to-be polarizing solo work <laughs> will be <laughs> shortly. Uh, the one thing I'm not a fan of in this track is that voice affectation he does in the, out of college, butter Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> it, it's like, it's so apparent because he doesn't do that in the other two parts of the song mm-hmm. that, like, that surround it. So it's just like, Jesus Christ, Paul, why? You don't need to do it. I understand it's a barroom piano. Like, or was he out of college but,
1: in the 1920s? Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah.
0: <sighs> I was part of the Great Depression at the bread. Of the, I don't know.
1: <laughs> on the right on the bread line. <laughs> My friend went to the breadline. Yeah, <laughs> I needed to have some more gruel. <laughs> Double the gruel, a lot of time it was.
0: I didn't realize that Paul McCartney was in Oliver Twist.
1: <laughs> he's everywhere, uh, man. Anyway,
0: he's everywhere. Um. Yeah. So. Otherwise, like I love like the guitars on this, like especially that third section. Uh, when it comes to like the overarching long one suite or mm-hmm. Abbey Road medley, whatever you want to call it, I think it's a it's a it's a useful way to use all these unfinished scraps they had around. I think it was smart. Uh, I do find it a bit tough to look at some of these songs in micro versus like the macro of it all, mm-hmm. but when it but track by track, we'll you know we'll get there.
1: I have less of a problem with it, I think, uh, than you do. Yeah. But like you said, we'll see. And yes. um, I think they refer to it internally as the long one, the medley.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On the fiftieth anniversary, there's like a
1: early mix of mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, that's the, interesting. The first run through of like to see if it would work all together. Yeah. Um. So Jeff Emmerich in his book. Um, here, there, and everywhere. Um, he mentioned like how they convinced John to go along with the concept of the medley. Uh, he says, But by the time I arrived, at agitated job was deeply involved indeed. More specifically, he was having a row with Paul and George Martin. We've already done the concept album, John argued, presumably referring to Sgt. Pepper. Why do we need to do another one? Look, John, we're just trying to think symphonically, George replied. We're Trying to create a complete work out of song fragments. Jab was derisive at first, saying, You're taking yourselves too seriously. But when Paul invited him to contribute some compositions of his own to the medley, he seemed to capitulate. Well, I might have one or two that could fit, he said sheepishly. I exchanged glances with Paul. I'm sure we were both thinking the same thing. He's just been waiting to be asked. Of course. The song was written by Paul, uh, You Never Give Your Money, was written by Paul when he was staying with his wife Linda in New York in March 1969, shortly after their wedding. This was a break following the Get Back Let It Be sessions. John and Paul were at risk of losing overall control of Northern Songs, the company that published their songs, after ATV Music bought a majority share. McCartney had been largely responsible for the group's direction of projects since the death of manager Brian Epstein in 67, but he began to realize the group dynamic at the Beatles was unraveling. He was particularly unhappy at the others who wanted manager Alan Klein to help resolve financial matters. McCartney later said that the song was written with Klein in mind, saying it's basically a song about no faith in the person. (laughs) He added at the line, One sweet dream, pack up the bags, get in the limousine, was based on his trips in the country with Flinda to get away from the tense atmosphere of the Beatles. Though author Walter Everett thought the line was also a nostalgic look at the Beatles' touring years, which had ended in 1966. Uh, One thing about Alan Klein and that whole mess, Paul's mistake was he pitched as their potential new manager uh, his (laughs) father-in-law, Lee Eastman. Uh, linda's father and the other beatles were like well gee uh won't he you know take your side in every matter (laughs) like that's not gonna work so that didn't help matters
0: was he still well i know that was he still involved with kodak
1: i don't know if they're Yeah, yeah i think they are related but um it was a i think lee jr or something uh, okay, my, my, it wasn't it? Jo- it was George Eastman, wasn't it? That was the founder of Kodak. Of Kodak. Hmm. I'm looking at it now. Uh. Well, he died in 1991. Um. <laughs> he was the son of. No, I don't think it's related. He, okay. They're related. Okay. That would have been cool, but no. Alas. Because Uh, then,
0: uh, like, in this alternate universe that I'm now constructing in my head, Kodak mm. now has a record label. (laughs) (laughs) Kodak. Well, maybe they did. I don't know. Like, everyone had a label, right?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, CBS had a label for a long time.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Well, yep. They owned Columbia. uh, Columbia, right? Yeah. Um, Realizing Abbey Road could be the group's last album McCartney and George Martin decided to combine Various portions of tracks into a medley Which would act as a climactic finale Of the group's career McCartney later said the idea of a song suite Was inspired by Keith West's excerpt From a teenage opera Which um, I Listened to like two days ago And I completely forgot Every single note of it It's totally forgettable (laughs) Um, some musical segments of You Never Give Me Your Money were reused for, um, for the golden slumbers carried at weight portion, which we'll get to, including the opening verses and later guitar arpeggios. The song is made up of a number of disparate parts joined together in the manner of John Lennon's happiness is a warm gun. In McCarty's 69 notebook, three separate titles were listed, You Never Give Me Your Money, "At a College, and One Sweet Dream. George Harrison in an anthology said, funny paper, that's what we get. We get bits of paper saying how much is earned of what this is and that is, but we never actually get it in pounds, shilling and pence. We've all got a big house and a car and an office, but to actually get the money we've earned seems impossible.
0: Yeah. So that's interesting to me because I always thought the line referred to it like the comics part of the newspaper. How so? Because people call it the funnies, the funny paper.
1: Right. You only oh I see. So he's like, Hey, yeah. let me see the the finance section. Here you go. Yeah. Dilbert Correct. <laughs> I don't want to read bloody Dilbert.
0: Uh, I hate Mondays.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh Garfield, you want darn gets, cat. You get me. <laughs> 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 it's about this cat, you know, and he hates Mondays and loves lasagna. Who can't the, uh
0: Garfield minus Garfield, so it's just, yes. just John. <laughs> it's just yes.
1: <laughs> John Insane John Arbuckle. <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, poor John. Anyway. Did you watch Garfield and Friends as a youth? The cartoon? Hundred
0: yeah. percent. yeah, I love Garfield and Friends. I guess you did too.
1: Yeah. Uh always would try to ship normal no Odie to Abu Dhabi. Yes. <laughs> Why I don't. Know. All right. The second, uh, the second part of the song "Out of College Money Spent" is a fondly nostalgic look back to the Beatles' early days, with a boogie woogie backing led by McCartney on piano. Um, in the note, his notebook, continued the original lyrics, McCartney wrote "Nowhere to Go" with the "K" crossed out, indicating he was considering the phrase "Nowhere to Go" instead. K N O W. Crafty little boy.
0: Hmm.
1: And Ian McDonald Revolution in the Head wrote, The Beatles' future may be gone, but McCartney's determined to salvage their spirit and that of the 60s for his future. You Never Give Me Your Money marks the psychological opening of his solo career. That's an interesting way of looking at it, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the correct way of looking at it. Mm
1: -hmm. There was uh, Jeff Emmerich again. There was one little bit of contention. It had to do with the crossfade between You Never Give Me Your Money and Sun King. John didn't like the idea of there being such a long gap between the two songs, but Paul felt strongly the mood needed to be set for the listener before Sun King started. In the end, Paul got his way. John Billy shrugged his shoulders in feigned disinterest. At first, a single held organ note was used for the crossfade. Later on, when it came time to sequence the finish mix,es Paul arrived with a plastic bag of tape loops, just as he had done what we worked on tomorrow never knows years before, and we used several of them, including recordings of crickets and bells, instead. Well, that was a good move, I would think.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think doing it too close is kind of jarring.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have to get in the mood. You have to, you know, get set, and then it go, and then it goes lightning fast. Uh, Correct. you got it by voices songs. Um, John Lennon. We'll, we'll get there. You're never going to guess, but John Lennon was dismissive. <laughs> he said, "No, that, that's Paul." Well, that's not a song. You know, Abbey Road was really unfinished songs all stuck together. Everybody praises the album so much, but none of the songs had anything to do with each other. No fret at all. Only the fact that we stuck them together. So he thinks it like it was Sgt. Pepper, where it seemed to be a concept album. But, yeah, not really. And America, I agree. Yeah. American guitarist George Benson covered the song in a medley with Golden Slumbers in his 1970 album, The Other Side of Abbey Road. Tenacious D covered You Never Give Me Your Money in a medley with the end as a single released on July second, twenty 2021. The proceeds benefited Doctors Without Borders. And the Beach Boys sort of covered it. Uh, just the instrumental introduction, it appears on Feel Flows, The Sunflower, Surf Obsessions, 1969 and 1971. Love Count Zero. It's all about money, baby. Josie Scale, I do this uh, Yeah.